This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stick Blade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the NHL. I'll be your host tonight, Jordan Linscott, and I'm going to be joined by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. On tonight's episode, we've got a little bit to discuss. The show's been on hiatus for about the past month or so. We had an episode that we had set to record. The file corrupted, so delayed us for that episode. And just without the Wings and the Hawks being in the playoffs, it's kind of given us little to talk about with those teams in mind. So we kind of want to just space out the episodes that way you guys are actually getting meaningful content from us. But anyway, on the show's uh, schedule for tonight, first off with the Red Wings news, uh, Zadina having great production with the Czech team that he went and played for. And the fact that unfortunately now for him, though, it appears he might be out with an upper body injury. Um, also, a lot of talks been circulating around about, you know, Detroit's got arguably some of the highest cap space in the league for any team just not committed to the books next season. And that's making them a potential landing spot for a lot of the free agents that are coming out of this year's free agent class. So in particular, we're going to be talking about Tori Krug, Alex Petrangelo, and even uh, goaltender Jacob Markstrom from the Vancouver Canucks organization, possibly. And then we move over to the Hawks side of the podcast. We're going to talk about essentially what's going to happen with them for the salary cap situation that they're in, because they're the polar opposite for the Wings right now. They're basically in a crunch. They don't have a ton of free space to work with, and they still have to get a starting goaltender signed for next year. So there's talks about, you know, is Crawford coming back? What's the deal look like? Is it a cap issue? Is it a term issue? And then also, I mean, what do you do with a guy like, you know, Dominic Kublik, for example, a guy who his stock is through the roof right now and in theory could be wanting a massive pay raise in the next you know two or three years so just sort of how are they going to begin to even navigate this off season with their cap space now when we move out of the wings and the hawks talk we're going to be talking about in particular this whole stanley cup playoff because yes we've been off for a month a lot of games have happened there have been a lot of surprises and just a lot of upsets that i don't think anybody on this podcast at least saw coming then we're going to finish out this uh, episode of the podcast with a segment that I want to call What Makes Them Great. Basically, we're going to be looking at players that are fairly young inside the organizations of the Detroit Red Wings and the Chicago Blackhawks. And we're just going to, are going to break down, you know, what are the things that the player brings to the table that is going to, in theory at least, help the franchise that they play for return to former glory. So with all of that being said... Let's just jump into this one. Um, how are you guys doing tonight? We're here. We've got the Stanley Cup Finals going on. It's not even close to who who I uh, would have ever predicted, but it's the Stanley Cup Finals, so I'm in a great mood. Yeah, man. It uh, feels great to be back, guys. It feels what, like a year has gone by since we last talked. Um, yeah, but yeah, like Tim just said, Stanley Cups in the Stanley Cups on the TV. Weather's getting a little colder, so it's the fall now, and I'm just I'm just happy living now, guys. Yeah, things are going well. Just living life, teaching, working on classes, watching some hockey, watching some soccer, and the weather. Yeah, weather's amazing now. Definitely not watching from football anymore over there, right, David? It, it's the Lions. I never expect anything out of them. <laughs> I guess I guess Mitch Trubisky is going to be the MVP this year. It sounds like from from your Twitter at least. Chicago Bears Super Bowl <laughs> champs, baby, calling it now. <laughs> you know the crazy thing is, Nick, you invited me to, to that fantasy uh, football league where you can only pick on the one team a week. I picked the Bears to beat the Lions. I'm at work, and I look. I catch the scoreboard while I'm you know walking around, and. I think it was like the fourth quarter, and Detroit had like 20-some points on the board. Chicago had seven. I'm like, well, I'm out week one. And then I get not even an hour later, I'm like, how bad did they uh, get slaughtered? Nope, they actually beat Detroit. <laughs> you know what? If we're down I'm a couple so... touchdowns, that's right where we want them. I'm just so shocked 
Patricia still has his job. He has, in his first 34 games, the worst record out of any coach, and that includes fucking Rod Marinelli. <laughs> you know what they say over there in Detroit, SOL. Same old lines. It was sad because Stafford, in my opinion, is a great quarterback, and he, much like Barry Sanders, much like Calvin Johnson, is just being wasted on this trash heap of a team. I I saw the other day an image of the Bermuda Triangle of football, and it's Detroit, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and uh, Cleveland, and it's just this abyss where good players' careers go to just disappear. Where'd they go? It's scary. Like, the Lions used to be the team that came alive in the fourth quarter. Like, Matthew Stafford has, like, 27 fourth-quarter comebacks, and Matt Patricia's just completely changed the team to be shit. Like, when you have when you have two all-star caliber players in Quandre Diggs and Darius Slay get the hell out and just completely shit on the coach, you know there's an issue. Yeah. Well, you've also been without uh, one of your top receivers for the first two weeks. Galladay's been out, so hopefully yeah. getting him back will give Stafford something, but... There is it... a picture of Adrian Peterson in, like, the last minute of the game on Sunday... Just like looking in disbelief, and the, the caption was like, "I've made a huge mistake." <laughs> I don't well, we, I mean, we spent enough time shitting on Detroit on this podcast, Jordan. Why don't you brighten the mood with the young stud over there in in Wingsworld? All right. So, <laughs> for for anybody who didn't get a chance to watch Detroit much last season, and I will admit, if you didn't watch them, I don't blame you because Detroit had arguably one of the worst seasons ever in the NHL. But they did have this young rookie who kind of looked really, really good by the name of Philip Zena. You may have heard of him. A bunch of teams passed him in the draft. And basically, Zadina came into the league, and you know when he got drafted at sixth overall, a couple teams picked over him, and there was sort of this, I, I don't want to say expectation, but I think for him there was that he was going to get to go to the NHL. He didn't go to the NHL. And he got sent to Grand Rapids instead, and I think it was actually the right move for him. He developed quite a bit in Grand Rapids, worked on his two-way game a lot. His decision-making got better. He ended up getting a stint with Detroit last year, not just like you know, like a little nine-game call, like an actual stint with Detroit last year. It actually looked really good, and then because of this whole you know COVID-19 deal, Hockey's been on hiatus, especially for Detroit's players. He goes over to the Czech Republic to play, and I wanted—I'm trying to remember exactly what the name of the cup is that he competed in over there. But basically, his team won it, and he had—I believe it was three goals and an assist in four games, if I remember correctly. Like he's basically torched the Czech. Republic or Czech Republic League since he got the chance to go over, which that's huge for him, even as like a 20 year old kid. I mean, not yes, you can say the Czech leagues are not the same as the NHL, which again, perfectly fair, perfectly fair way to, you know, look at this production. But still, the fact is, Zadina looks like he's going to be the real deal for Detroit. And this tournament is showing that he's he's above the players that he's playing with right now. Yeah, I mean, four goals. Did you, any of you guys get to watch them? I, did I got not. to see. They posted some clips on uh, Reddit, um, which I got to see. And yeah, he looks good. I'm excited to see him come back in Detroit once we get hockey back up again. Well, you say that now, and or I mean, not this is not like trying to go at him. But it seems like the Red Wings are not like in a rush to bring him back over here just to continue his development. It. Uh, this is a while, an article from a while ago, but it says Sedina and Joe Polino might start the season in Czech next season. Whenever it does start, I don't know if that was before we knew it was starting in December. But, I mean, he, he's going to play a big role when he comes back to Detroit. We all know that. It seems like they're not really in a big rush just to continue to let him develop and play and maybe build that confidence playing against the guys he's playing against now. So it's going to be interesting to see. What, yeah, it's. It, I, I think that's a smart idea, like, He's, if you see him flourishing and thriving and just continuing to develop his skill set, I rush him back. I mean, you know when he comes back to Detroit, he's going to play major minutes, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. 
hockey and a lot of times with these young guys is a big confidence thing. If their confidence isn't there, they're not going to do well. So letting him just dominate in this Czech league, build up that confidence, transition it back here. And yes, it won't be, you know, a one and one type thing, but he'll have his confidence up and he'll be able to, you know, keep his head up and work with the team. Well, that's exactly it. Like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is a this is a men's league. This is not a, a youth league or anything like that. It's their legitimate professional league, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. These are grown men. These are not you know 18 year old kids. Then that's exactly it. You know, even if it's if it's not the NHL, it's not even the the KHL. But these are still professional men at the the top of their you know the the, the top of their leagues like any sort of confidence in the fact that he's tearing it up in that league is a going to skyrocket his confidence, but it's also, you know, he's able to hone those, uh, the playmaking skill sets, the scoring skill sets, but also just withstanding the onslaught of grown giant men. Like that's going to be fantastic for him coming back. I mean, the other thing also, like even just scoring aside, the thing that I think a lot of people tend to gloss over when they look at, you know, players playing with these other leagues is, I mean, particularly a guy like Sedina, who with his call last season in Detroit, I mean, he's not playing with NHL caliber guys. And I'm not using that as a knock on these games he's playing. But the thing is, when you're not playing with that caliber of player, in order for you to get on a score sheet, you're having to play more intelligently yourself. Like people aren't just feeding it to you and giving you grade A chances, you are having to work for that yourself if you're consistently showing up on a score sheet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they talk about that sometimes, even with like the difference between guys that don't always thrive in the AHL that bump up and their game is better suited towards the structure and the talent and the skill set of the NHL. There's guys that just rely on having a Patrick Kane or a, even like a Dylan Strom or somebody getting you a pass when just the structure in some of these other leagues isn't there. It's a little sloppier, a little looser play. So you're right. The fact that he's able to adjust and just sort of will himself to victory is phenomenal. Um, the, the piece of wings news, and I, I don't want to say news, but I guess it's kind of news. Um, the free agency class this year is going to be absolutely loaded with big players. I mean, you've got Tory Krug from Boston, Alex Petrangelo from the St. Louis Blues. You've got Jacob Markstrom from um, the Vancouver Canucks. You've got a goaltender like, you know, Darcy Kemp for like just there are so many big names Taylor on free Hall agents. Taylor Hall is still out there. Yep, Taylor Hall is still out there. Um, <laughs> I think Braden Holtby is going to be out there. Like, yep. There are so many big names on free agency this year, and Detroit is really one of the only teams in the league that has the cap space to sign some of these big names. Now, as of right now, Detroit is far and away needing a definitive top pair, or at least top four defensemen. And as of right now, it looks like Tori Kruger, Alex Petrangelo look to be the players that Detroit might seriously be able to offer a term and cap space to. Um, now, personally, and David, I want your opinion on this one. I think I would rather have the Wings take Alex Petrangelo. I think he's a better overall defenseman than Tori Kruger is, and I just think that he fits Detroit's play style better. Plus, I like the fact that he's got leadership already established in a locker room that has seen success, which I hope he brings that with him and instills that in some of these younger guys. Uh, which one would you prefer if we were going to go after a defenseman this off season? I mean, it's tough. They're both phenomenal defenders. Um, they're both around the same age. I mean, Pretender is only a year older than Krug, so they're both kind of veteran type leaders. Um, I mean, Pachangelo to me feels more defensive defenseman, which we have in Cider, so he could help Cider kind of develop that. Um, but part of me wants more of Tory Crew because he's a hometown kid. So I don't know. Like, I feel like I wouldn't be opposed to either one of them. Why not both? Just throw money at both. Just do it. <laughs> Tim and Nick, if you guys are, I mean, you guys looking on the outside looking in, 
Which player do you think Detroit should go after? I just watching your situation and seeing where you're tr- what you're trying to do not only building a team but growing a culture and a mindset and because we've seen lots of talented teams that can't produce I mean look at Toronto but getting that shift and some a veteran presence that can guide culture along with phenomenal play to me Petrangelo is a no-brainer if you can choose between the two and they're both you know within the same ballpark like David said he's only a year older and <clears throat> frankly that all-around play you're looking for your you're, you're Duncan Keith. You're looking for your guy that can play both ends of the ice. And you guys know I'm a sucker for the intangibles and the grit and the winning culture. But when you can couple the tangibles with all those intangibles that Petrangelo brings to the table, that proven leadership and experience, to me, that's exactly the guy that you want working with Dylan Larkin and some of these other of the leadership that are in there now to create what exactly what kind of locker room do they want and what kind of team are they on and off the ice yeah i think it should be petrangelo as well for the red wings i think Iserman likes to have that workforce definitely d-man like he uh built with headman down in tampa bay i think petrangelo would could be that option for the detroit red wings they have all the money in the world to throw at them right now and if you're looking for a bigger discount i mean it's not really gonna be that much of a discount but you could go krug and that yeah that way you have a little more money to spend elsewhere but i think petrangelo is worth every dollar to pay extra than it is tory krug that's no knock on tory krug which is petrangelo is that much of an outstanding player so i just find it crazy that st louis is gonna let their captain leave like that's just weird to me i just can't see that happening well i mean that's what they get for throwing all that money at uh What's his name? Justin, Justin Falk. Falk, yeah, there it is. What, what was it? I've seen it referred to as a self-fulfilling backup. Like, they signed Falk to that extension in case they couldn't get Petrangelo locked up the next year. And because they did that, they then can't get Petrangelo locked. Like, it's it's the classic oops. Uh, But yeah, just going back really quick, Tori Krug, I don't look at as your number one defenseman or your anchor, I look at Tory Krug as your number two defenseman, the one that you bring in to drive offense and to be that second minute muncher. You know, you can put him on the top line for a nuclear option or a second, you know, the second pairing. That's the guy that helps drive your offense, but it's not your your anchor, your number one defenseman. Regardless, I mean, no matter which one of the, if you end up with one of the two, they're gonna they're gonna power play your quarterback, and 100%. obviously your right, quarterback, your power play. God, too much, Nick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was with you. I agree. Yeah, yeah uh, you can tell it's been a while since we last recorded, today. But uh, yeah, I think regardless, you're gonna have you're in a great scenario, no matter who you bring. I think just Petrangelo is just a far and away number one top priority, it, as it should be for Eiserman. Why not both? Realistically, we do though. How much money do we have in cap space? We have, I want to say. I remember we talked about this last time. I want to say it's like 30 something million. I mean, like, we we literally get whoever we want from free agency this year. Just don't pull a Bowman and then get a bunch of guys and get excited with your shiny new toys and then say, oh no, what have we done? (laughs) So we have 34.7 million in cap space. So, a couple dollars. So, fuck it. Sign them both. I mean, theoretically, if they both Boom. get 9 mil, that's 18, and that still leaves you with... I mean, 16? 15? I mean, I'm not a math magician, but like... 15 million dollars, final answer. <laughs> I mean, that's a scary place to be, uh, having two defensemen locked up at 9 mil. Uh, but, I mean, if you can swing it... If we can swing it and we can still sign, you know, our core players, I'm all for it because that would immediately put our defense back on the map. My kicker is, yeah, where does it leave Cider and Helm and them to grow into their roles? Well, you'd have Cider and Hironic as the two pair, or yep. you split That's up Krug and Petrangelo. Okay. So you, so you have Hironic oh, yeah, was... with 
Hironic with Petrangelo, and then Krug with Cider. Damn, I would love to watch that. That would actually be really, really cool. I think that's actually the best pairing that you could get if Detroit happened to sign them both. I mean, you've got Krug and Cider playing together. Krug's mentoring Cider on helping establish an offensive game. And Cider can, I don't want to say cover up Krug's defensive laps, but Cider is just a more two-way defensive defenseman than Krug is. Krug's just an offensive guy, in my opinion. And then, like you said, Heronic with Petrangelo. Heronic just, he power plays the quarterback right now, and he's already, what did he log last season, like averaging 26 minutes a night or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Like, it, it was almost Duncan Keith minutes, basically. Like, you you get a guy like him and put him with Petrangelo, that is too fantastic deep air. All right, here we go. We signed Petrangelo, we signed Krug, and a goalie. A good goalie, not some shit goalie. I could see us contending. I'm Honestly, just saying it. That I'm just saying it. If you lock up, like, Markstrom on a year or two deal, you get those two. I mean, you're, you've got a ton of firepower in combinations with your forward combinations. Uh, you can round that out easily. You've got a team that immediately bumps into... Well, okay. You've got a team that on paper immediately bumps into a, a wild card spot. And that's I think. the worst case scenario, their wild card spot, if on paper they just do okay. I, I just know... And the Hawks the last couple of years have been a great example. You'll look at what they are on paper, the, and what happens can be a different story. Mm-hmm. As I long think, as it's uh, Eric Carlson, I'll be happy. Boy, yeah. I think the telling sign for Detroit on where they're going to stand after this offseason is going to be by the goalie they bring in. And it's it, by that I mean, like, if they go after a Marc Andre Fleury, I think that means they're going to try to compete. They go after one of these younger goalies. Like, I mean, they're not young, but they're there's veterans, but they're younger. They're like Markstrom, or I think Leonard's actually going to be locked up in Vegas very soon. Darcy Kemper, all that that could mean maybe another year or two. But if it's like a guy like Mark Andre Fleury, I think Detroit's going to go for it. I see Fleury in uh, in Detroit. You know, that's got to be like a weird situation for Vegas. I mean, that's bizarre. Flurry was a fan favorite down there. His agent just sends out that stupid picture. And then you look at Flurry's stats. They weren't terrible this season, but they weren't the Flurry that we're used to of, you know, years past. And he's only got two years left on his contract, I think. So he's almost done. But if they want to get a guy like Leonard locked up, they've got to free up cap space. And it sounds like... There's some sort of handshake agreement. A five-year deal is like set up, and it's all agreed upon to be launched with Leonard. Which, who again, who knows with the rumor mill going around? But if that's the case, then Flurry has submitted. From what I saw, Flurry had submitted his ten-team no move. Uh so then from there they can start planning. But even then, I mean, the teams that he probably put on his no-move list, how many of them even have space for his cap hit unless Vegas retains salary? I mean, how many teams right now that are in contention can just afford $7 million for a goaltender? That's tough. Yeah, I mean, that's the trick, isn't it? You get 10 teams that you say, I absolutely won't go to, and then you use that to rule out you know, teams that can't afford you. I mean, like, let's say he chooses, you know, the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings and all these teams that have loads of cap space and don't have, you know, a definitive goaltender position. Half the teams that are cup contenders right now, they literally can't breathe in this salary cap world. I mean, the cap staying flat, that's already making it hard enough for these teams that were pinched to begin with. And now you want to move this guy to another team and none of the teams that he wants to go to have even just the cap dollars for him. That's a hard spot to be in. But it's a perfect position of power and a way to control the situation as the player. Yeah, I guess guess it's fair. Mm -hmm. I don't know. uh, Detroit is in a fascinating situation with how how many of these high-powered free agents are going to be on the market and a flat cap. Instead, it, we go and sign Shattenkirk. 
and Bogosian. <laughs> oh, oh my God. There you go. Trade for Olimata. <laughs> oh, hold up there. Olimata's not a terrible acquisition. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Hawks soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. poor, poor guy's done his job. All right, well, you know, while we're talking about Olimata, let's just transfer over to the Hawks because, I mean, there's, I mean, we're just talking about goaltenders with Flurry. Let's just talk about Chicago right now. Um, Chicago, we're just talking about cap space. Chicago is crunched. Just, they've got basically no movement room right now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. (laughs) (laughs) But Crawford's not signed to a deal. They don't have a definitive starter. Plus, you've got a guy like Kubalik who's going to probably want a decent-sized raise coming through your pipeline. And then you've got all these other players who are going to need new contracts as well within the next few years. I mean, what do you guys think that Chicago's going to do this offseason with goaltending in particular? I think in the end, it's going to be Crawford. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, getting to that price that he wants, even though uh, he kind of contradicted himself this offseason by saying, you know, money's not that big of an issue. Hawks go off from three and a half million and all of a sudden money's an issue. So uh, pick a pick aside Crawford, but I think it's going to be Crawford just because these goalies are expensive. I mean, you go get a guy like Darcy Kemper, you're going to have to extend him. So that's an expensive option. So I think Crawford's going to be their guy and that is going to leave another, a lot of question marks. Like they don't have a single starting goalie or a backup goalie in mind right now. It's not going to be Subban. It's not going to be Subban. I think that Delia or Lankinen could be, I think Delia could be a serviceable backup, frankly. Um, I I like the way that his last two seasons have gone. Even though he started last year rough, he had a lot of personal stuff going on as well. And he showed that you can he can overcome adversity. And I think I'd rather, I, I like seeing guys that are able to overcome adversity and get back on track than people where it's always come easy to them because you know they can get over the slumps. Uh, Lankinen's got a lot of potential. Uh, I mean, we saw that when he backstopped, what was it? Fin- was it Finland in the World in, in uh, yes. okay, Finland. World Championships? Yeah, like that was a team that shouldn't have even made it and they, they won the whole thing. Uh, I think it's. I think we end up with Crawford. I think right now, I'm just going to assume that some of the reporting that says he's unhappy is blown a little out of proportion. I mean, this is negotiation that we're talking about. Yeah. Crawford comes out and says money's not an issue. The Hawks say, well, great, then here's this <laughs> offer. And then you say, what is this? You know, I said money's not an issue, not that I'm a charity, you know, not that I'm a charity here. Yeah. You know, so they're going to go back and forth a little bit. Uh, now, I'm going to throw something out there that Jordan threw out to me before this, and I agree with him. Kubalik has such a high value right now, and even if we're able to sign him, it's for a one, two-year deal tops, and it sacrifices other pieces. What if we flip him and get a decent haul, some good value, maybe a roster player, or maybe maybe a first round pick or maybe a couple different options that Stan can put together. We have a lot of roster players that are going to be coming back. You know, if we re-sign Strom, if we re-sign Kajula, we have Shaw that's off of injured reserve and is going to be back in the lineup. We signed Pius Suter, who is going to, he has a European clause, so he'll go back. He doesn't go to the AHL. So he's either we're assuming he's going to be a top nine spot. Uh, I I think that Kubalik's value for us, not that we don't, we don't get better in the immediate by trading Kubalik, but we do the franchise a solid and we get resources and different pieces of value for a guy that we might be able to sign for another year who might regress. I don't know. What do you think about that, Nick? See, I think I think they're actually going to keep Kubelik just because I know you're a big fan of, you're a big fan of Strom and Kajula. I understand I, I, that. Uh, Kajula, yeah, uh, oh, definitely. Uh, but I think 
you know, with Shock on the back, that brings another physical presence. You got guys like Evan Barrett, Mackenzie Entwistle, who are waiting on the wings, Brandon Hagel. I think Kajula is a very – I shouldn't say very because he brings a certain aspect to the team that the Hawks kind of need. But he is expendable with cheaper options in the system. I mean, you go get a guy like Brandon Hagel. He's a big physical presence. Um, you know, Evan Barrett plays a physical game too. Uh, and then uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Who is on the fourth line? I can't think of his name. Highmore. Highmore plays a physical physical game. And, uh, you know, he kind of flourished in playoffs a little bit. So I think Kajula is definitely a guy that we might see on the way out. Strom is kind of the uh, big question mark just because they have high hopes for Evan Barrett. I don't know if he's ready to step into that kind of role yet. Kershev, I don't think he's ready for that kind of role yet. As Suter is kind of just, we'll wait, wait and see. We don't know what, what he's going to be like in his NHL uh, career. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the Hawks are obviously against the wall here. They are a 12th place team against the salary cap. So not great. It's not an enviable position, which is, well, because we're going to get rid of, it's pretty much agreed that we're going to get rid of Zach Smith, that we're going to buy him out. Oh yeah, uh, Absolutely. I still think you can trade him for a low pick because uh, there's teams that could use him. He's a perfectly serviceable bottom six guy. Uh, but we're most likely going to buy out Zach Smith, and I think that's where Brandon Hagel comes up. And he's your he's on your fourth line with Carpenter and uh, Camp, And then Highmore, like, okay, if we get rid of Kajula, then we put Highmore on the third line and... Uh, we've got to have room for Nylander again, unless we flip oh. Nylander. <laughs> I, I always forget about him. Uh, Very forgettable. God, poor guy. I feel so <laughs> terrible when I say that. But, you know, if we have... I think that Dylan Strom is a phenomenal third-line center, and I think that this is not grounded in anything, but I think we're going to see him offer a very reasonable discount uh, because Chicago's done right by him. He's flourished in Chicago. Uh, and he's also really, really smart when it comes to hockey. Uh, when the Athletic did their poll about, you know, which player was most likely to become a GM, like, Strom was almost unanimously voted. Like, they're saying he's the kind of person that's on-cap friendly and knows what's going on. That's a guy that looks at the league and says, okay, what's actually available? What's reasonable? I'm... He might be willing to take less to stay on this team. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, if he's taking less, I'll, I, I would gladly have him back. I think you kind of have to stick him with DeBrinket to get the best production out of him. Um, which, I mean, that's okay. If it, if it works, it works. And if that's what keeps him happy and makes him play better, then, well, you know, you could find really anyone that could play with Patrick Kane because I mean, it's just simply he's that good. I mean, from all I, all I know, the Hawks sound very uh, active this offseason already. You know, Stan Bowman's calling. I, I mentioned Darcy Kemper earlier. The Hawks have been checking in on him. The latest report I've seen was Matt Dumba is a name the Hawks are targeting. And that, this just gives me the sense that Stan Bowman's hungry. He wants to win. And yeah. I think that second-round pick they got from Vegas is going to be put to use not through the draft. I think that's going to be uh, trade bait. Along with you know some of these prospects we got, or uh, you know maybe some tr- we're going to see some actual hockey trades by the Blackhawks this all season rather than rebuilding trades. I would like to see that, and if there's one thing that one of the things that Bowman does well is he does his due diligence. He calls about everybody, you know, and people will say like, "Oh, we heard you calling," but he goes. Yeah, I call a lot of people about a lot of things. Like, it's called doing your job and doing due diligence. You know, I even if they're, even if he calls about Dumba, it might be way out of their price range and not something that's possible, but then he slips in and says, well, what about X, Y, or Z? What's the story there? And he gets them on the phone, and then he starts to play games, which, you're right. I'm excited about a hungry bowman. I'm excited about... Like actual hockey trades, uh, this is going to be a very fascinating off season to observe league wide. Now, let me ask you guys your opinion on this trade that I actually thought might 
work for Chicago. What if Chicago sends Kubelik and Mata to Vegas in exchange for Flurry and a second and a third? Now, Kubelik steps into Vegas, helps bolster out their forward group, which is already pretty decent. I think that Kubelik would be fine signing a one- or two-year deal in uh, Vegas because he knows that they're still a contender. Flurry leaving Vegas frees them up cap dollars to re-sign Leonard. Basically, you take the money that Flurry's getting, it goes to Leonard instead. Leonard becomes their new starter. They take Olimata from the Chicago Blackhawks. And again, he's a guy who's won the Stanley Cup before, so you're bringing a guy who's got playoff experience. And in exchange, Vegas is sending a second and a third Chicago's way, as well as a starting caliber goaltender that realistically they're not going to sign again anyway before his career is probably done. So it works for both clubs, both in the long term and the short term. I'd like to see a million of salary retained for Ve- uh, for on Vegas for Flurry's salary, just so it puts it at six mil, which is what Crawford is currently at. Uh, just so that we're not necessarily gaining more, but we're also losing Mata's four point something and change. Uh, so I could, I love Flurry. He's besides Henrik Lundqvist, he's probably my favorite active goaltender. Uh, I I would love to have Flurry here for two years. If they took that extra, even if they said, okay, we'll give you one of the two picks, whether it's the second or third, and then withheld the one million salary, I can stomach that trade. The one trade I've been, I don't know why it's been keep popping me. It's been it's been keeping on popping in my mind. Is uh, I think. You could see something done between, again, back-to-back off-seasons, but the Blackhawks and the Penguins. I think the Penguins are looking – I mean, I know the Penguins are looking to move either Jari or Matt Murray. And I, Murray having a kind of an off-season this year, I think the Hawks could get him from a relatively nice price uh, nice price tag, I guess, trade-wise. And uh, he's due for an extension. I don't see him making that much for money. And I think uh, – I mean, it looked like the Penguins were really missing out on D. I, I don't know. I don't know if Mata would be an option going back to Pittsburgh. I know Pittsburgh kind of. I mean, he's won cups there. He, I mean, fans hated him, but I think the organization in general kind of liked him. So I mean, maybe we could see something with uh, Mata and prospects or picks for Murray. But I don't know. My my concern is that it looked like there was a deal being worked out with Edmonton with Murray, and it sounded like it got too rich for their blood that oh. they were asking for a first round pick okay, for yeah, Murray. No. And that's, I can't stomach a first round pick for him. Cause they're definitely, I think they're again, following my gut here. I think they're going to keep Jari. Uh, and yeah, if you're trying to get a first round pick for Matt Murray, which I mean, I get it. Why wouldn't you give that a shot? Uh, that might be too rich for our blood with trying to, develop, rebuild, and also compete. If they want to move their first-round pick this year, I wouldn't be opposed. And yeah, what, what, what are we saying at? 17? Yeah. And I don't know what I don't know that this draft class much past 10. I mean, there's probably some hidden gems, but I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, dangling that out there, too, just because I, I, I want to see the Hawks win again. I mean, oh, I'm just, God, yeah, yeah, of course. Listen, We're right? all hungry. We've seen yeah. them, we send them this, see them this playoffs, so no, definitely. Getting able to watch playoff hockey again. And don't worry, David and Jordan, you guys will see it someday again, too. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Man. Uh, Boom, yeah, roasted. I'm speaking from a really unstable tower, given that we uh, probably shouldn't have been in the playoffs. But listen, I'm going to take what I can get. <laughs> it took a pandemic for the Hawks to make the playoffs this year. And they don't ask how. They ask that, you know... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Hey, we're there. as long as we're there. I mean, maybe, maybe in like what three or four years we'll actually be in the playoffs and actually be a competent team, not a uh, just like a fringe. Oops, we squeaked in. Yeah, we were talking as early as this year, a couple minutes ago on this podcast. So. But that's only if the stars align. I mean, I'll give Steve Eisenman the credit, man. Like he built an awesome team in Tampa, and like. I got faith they'll do it again in Detroit, and people are like, yeah, but he already had Stamkos and Hedman when he went to uh, 
Tampa, right. But he didn't have Jonathan Druin. He didn't have Andre Vasilevsky. He didn't have Nikita Kucherov. He didn't have Braden Point. He didn't have half of the players that they have. That's true. I mean, what was that one draft where they hit on the on the triplets? Uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, Palat, and uh, Kucherov. I can't remember the exact drafts year, but I remember it though. And I, like that one was hit. what defined them. And like those were a couple of them were like seventh round picks or sixth or seventh round. Fourteen. Picks. Fourteen. Oh wait, that's a basketball player. <laughs> all right, all right. Oh, eleven. All right. That's just Tyler Johnson. I don't know. I'll find it. Just keep talking. Here we are again. My my knowledge of Tampa Bay is admittedly, it's got some spots. But, yeah, I mean, Iserman's good at what he does. And it's the same thing that people say about, well, you know, the Hawks already had their infrastructure in place. And it's like, yeah, but a really good GM, GM is able to make those teams competitive like and keeps them alive. And that's something that Iserman has been able to not only do like restructure and set up in Tampa, but also his contract signings have been phenomenal. Now, granted he's got to do that in Detroit now instead of, you know, a state like Florida where there's no state income tax, but we'll see what happens. I mean, Robbie Fabry's already looking like he's painting out fairly nicely. Perfectly That's... serviceable player on a perfectly serviceable contract, and he's going to, based on his interviews, probably play center. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's what I assume. I, I would trust Iserman. Um, we can move on to the Blackhawks and the Red Wings talk if you guys are all right with it, and we'll talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs because I don't think any of us saw this final coming at all. Um, basically, Tampa, at least, if I remember. Yeah, but who really saw Dallas in the finals this year? Because I know it wasn't me. Nobody did. Not even people in Dallas did. I still have trouble admitting that this is a good team. I, I, I know that they're in the cup finals, and I understand that they are doing really, really well. But I don't understand this team at all. Shit all over. It's the uh, it's it's the year effect, man. Like they they went into the season they weren't expecting to win, and that's why they're winning. Yeah, there's a, well, I mean, in a league that is getting younger and faster every year, they added the husk of Corey Perry and an aging Joe Pavelski, and it it, it worked, I guess. And I mean, Mira Heiskanen is ridiculously incredible. Like I'm blown away by him. They're talking that he's going to be uh, a con Smythe option. Um, and Radulov has been a force of nature with them. Uh, they're, they are moving as a unit. They're hard hitting. I think I saw that they're per 60 minutes. They have the most hits per uh, of any team. They're the most hits per 60 minutes. Uh, like they're, if anyone could go against the offensive firepower and the defensive structure that Tampa has, maybe it's this underdog Dallas team. I mean, Dallas isn't loaded with bad players. I mean, you know, they've got Jamie Benn, they've got know. Tyler Sagan, and like you mentioned, you know, Heiskanen. But, you know, for example, Kudobin just sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, who expected him to be putting up great stats in the playoffs, you know, halfway through the season? Not me. No, he completely took over Bishop. I mean, Dallas has always been one of those teams. I've, every year I just look at them as the same way. I never look at them as like a fully complete built team from front to back. I just look at them as like a high-powered offense who struggles on defense, and I don't know why the same mentality went this year. But they are a wagon. I mean, they are really good, and that's what Anton the whole pandemic stuff. The, yeah. the, the shutdown, maybe something just happened with them where they are able to you know, compete now because of everything being shut down and the bubble and everything. Like, we got to factor that in there somehow. I mean, they were one of, like, yeah, I mean, it's something to consider for sure. But, like, going to this playoffs, they were one of those teams I really just kind of wrote off right away. Oh, yeah. I liked Vancouver better than them. I liked St. Louis better than them. I liked Colorado better than them. Um, I can't think of all the Western Conference teams right now, but, like, there was a lot Vegas. of West- Yeah, Vegas, sorry. Calgary. Like, there's a lot of Western Conference teams I had over Dallas. 
And for them to be in the finals against arguably one of the best teams in the league is just shocking. Mm-hmm. I just once again want to apologize to all of our fans that use me as a, a means of where to place your bets, uh, where to go for your bookie, because I, I've I've lost I, I would have lost a lot of money. Uh, I've I've had some pretty atrocious picks during uh, during this Stanley Cup playoffs. The weird series for me was the one versus Vegas. I thought just for sure Vegas was going to just run right over Dallas, and that didn't happen. No. I mean, how do you look at Vegas being, well, Vegas, and then look at Dallas and say, yeah, Dallas is absolutely walking away with a W this series? Like, it just, their roster doesn't make sense for that, and yet it's been working. I don't know if I don't know if Vegas got sloppy because they did give up a lot of power play goals. I felt, uh, I feel like they're, I feel like the bottom of their defense got exposed a little bit more. Your heart's got to go out for uh, for White Cloud though. Watching watching his team, watching him having taken that penalty in overtime. And then having them score on that. And it was like a delay of game. He flipped it over the glass. And you can just see, you can actually watch the moment when, like, his heart just stops. And he played, I thought he was great. I'm excited to watch his progression. Uh, but it, it sort of summed up that entire series for me, where it's just, like, one poor penalty just led to, led to, led to demise. Yeah. I mean, for me, the Dallas and the Vegas series was the big upset this playoff. I mean, oh, yeah. what were your guys' some of, or what were some of your guys' big upsets this playoff? I mean, there, uh, there's quite a bit of shocking. I, the Islanders, I don't like. I know they were like they just play a boring hockey style, and I don't know how. I just keep running them off too, kind of like the Stars. But I mean, the Islanders making it that far, I thought they were going to lose the Capitals. I mean, in the second round. Um. Vegas. Oof. What about you, uh, Tim? You, I, I gotta think of biggest one. I, uh, I mean, honestly, the the, the Vegas Dallas one is a huge shock to me, a huge upset. Um, I, I'm trying to think of which one I was actually like legitimately. Uh, the Canucks beating the Blues surprised me. Uh, frankly, I had that. <laughs> yeah, I like. I get it. Uh. But no, the, the the Blues, you know, Ryan O'Reilly up against. I think that I think that Vancouver is going to be a phenomenal team, but they're young, and I it, they still it still surprised me when it happened. Yeah, another one for me, um, the Stars and the Avalanche. Yeah, I was like, oh well, here comes the Stars, you know, and and they beat the Avalanche, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? As a lot of us were like very high on the Avalanche beginning of the year for injuries. Oh yeah, that's the the one. It did expose the lack of depth for Colorado, yep. and I think that's something that they need to address. Because my God, McKinnon wants it. You can tell how bad McKinnon wants it, and you've got Kale McCarr. If mm-hmm. they just round out their bottom six, they're gonna be able to hang. Yep. If I, I'm gonna, I'm oh, I'm gonna stick with the uh, uh, continued Islanders hate, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be the Islanders over the Flyers. I, that shocked me. I thought the Flyers were really probably the best team going to the playoffs. I thought you know they weren't the gonna be people in the tournament. Yeah, exactly. I thought they weren't gonna be stopped until maybe the Stanley Cup final or the Eastern Conference final. So uh, yeah, that's gonna be my pick right there. I the Islanders made me a believer. I I got on board just in time to uh, be on the wrong side of that, uh, which is pretty part of the course. Trot's <laughs> gonna trots, bro. Yeah, I mean trots trots system works. Varlamov really shown as a solid starting goalie. Having uh having Peugeot with Barzell, you know, deep adds to depth down the center. They they turned me into a believer. I, they're yes, their hockey's boring, but th- we've also seen that they can come from behind and like turn it on when they need to. I don't know. I I expected to see them 
Although, my God, could you imagine a an Islanders Dallas Stars final? Oh, hilarious! Yeah, yeah, that that God, freaking hilarious! I don't think I'd have watched it. Just imagine <laughs> Trotz winning the cup with the Islanders and just rubbing the Capitals' nose in it. I I would love that. I mean, listen, I love a little petty revenge. No, I, I'm trying to think here. Ooh, I got another upset. I got another crazy upset. Right, the Red Wings upset? getting the fourth pick. Oh there my god! Fucking just terrible, is. terrible. But at least you don't have to make the very difficult third overall pick, because that's a lot harder than fourth. Yeah, fourth is just whoever falls into your lap. It, well, no, because fourth we have to go between Raymond Perfetti and Rossi. We'll see. I mean, who knows how the draft's gonna fall out? I mean, it's, draft night's crazy. People get a little nuts. Somebody might go for uh, Drysdale, and you uh, you end up with Struzel. Struzel's being moved up, projected number two now. Really? In most in most mock drafts I've been looking at, he's been bumped up to two. That's super interesting to me. All well, I'm saying get is maybe we'll have a Phillips Zadina again. Maybe we'll have a Phillips Zadina scenario oh. again where teams just decide we're going to take players of need, and then, oops, we accidentally landed a stud. Oh, darn. Quentin Byfield? Shoot. Oh, darn. <laughs> I guess Lafreniere just dropped. That's crazy. <laughs> so crazy Lafreniere just dropped a four. No, I, I'd kill for Stutzel to drop a four, but the latest mock drafts I've been seeing, he's going to... I mean, if if he dropped to four, could you imagine Detroit's forward group? I mean, in three no, years, we still you're... take the fucking goalie. I, I was gonna say, you, no. imagine your face as you watch Struzel drop to four, and then as he drops to five. Oh, I, I've never actually it be, like it would thrown be a the glass. fucking. It would be the heartbreak in Quinn Hughes's eyes when the Red Wings passed on him for Zadina. Did you I guys see it. that? Oh, His yeah. face was—he was so sad. But I think he's doing all right now. He is. But, like, the commercial right before we picked was, like, us talking about Quinn Hughes and how good of a player he was. And I'm like, oh, it looks like they're just hyping up for us to draft him. And then I forget who picked before us. They picked someone else. And I'm like, oh, shit, Zadina's in play. Yeah. Who was it? It It was, uh, who was it? Was the Montreal Canadiens and the Ottawa Senators? Yeah. Yes. Because Montreal got the uh, Kutkaniemi. They went off board with that. It was at the draft that Arizona went off board and got uh, Bear. Uh, what's it? Oh, God. Bear Hayden? Yep, that's exactly it. It was at five. Yeah. Wow. 2018 a... NHL draft. Because we got uh, Boquist at seven. So you got Darlene, Svechnikov, Kutkaniemi, Brady Kachuk. And then, yeah, the uh, Coyotes picked Hayton. Wild. I mean, hey, like, sometimes weird stuff like that happens, though. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, 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 you never know until you're there. That's why I'm super excited to watch the draft. Yeah, I mean, the draft gets wild, boys. It does. Can you imagine, though, in th- like, it, like, assuming Stutzel falls to fourth in by some stroke of magic, the wings get him. The Wings forward group in three years could legitimately be Dylan Larkin with Mantha and Zadina on his wings, Joe Volano playing second line with Stutzel and Bertuzzi on the wings, third line center being it doesn't even matter. With and then Petrangelo and Krug. I don't know. Fabry will be playing third line center probably by then. Fabry playing third line center with it doesn't even matter on his wings. And then Michael Rasmussen on that fourth line as a center. Yep, him and Giovanni Smith will probably be playing. I mean, the Wings forward group would look so good if they got Stutzler to fill out their top six. Yeah, if everyone hits even close to their potential, that's a that's a cup contender. Easy. And even if we're not living in a fantasy land with both Petrangelo and Krug, uh, even having uh, Cider and uh, Hronik and stuff, you've got... Again, I, I've said it a couple times. You've got the pieces in place. Mm-hmm. Um, we can move on to uh, the last segment in the episode if you guys are all right with it. Um, basically, I want to call it what makes them great. We're talking about you know future players right now, just in hypothetical. But I want to talk about players that are in both teams' organizations right now and what it looks like they're going to contribute in the future. Because I mean, 
Yes, the Hawks made the playoffs this year, but it was because of a weird system that happened to fall into their lap. No one really predicted them to make the playoffs, and Detroit obviously didn't make the playoffs either. But both teams have some good players in their prospect pipeline, and even just like very young roster players. David, who's a player who you look at for the wings and you say that kid is going to be a piece moving forward in the future and is going to be a big contributor? And then what do you think makes them that way? I mean, I can go with obvious people like um, freaking Dylan. I could go with Bertuzzi. I could go with any of these young guys. I could go with Joe F. and Valeno, but I've talked a lot about uh, Valeno. Who I'm going to bring up is someone that hasn't made it on the Wings roster yet, um, and that is Bergren. I liked the pick when we picked him. Um, I know we were pretty disappointed that we didn't draft a defenseman, um, but Jonathan Bergren, I think, just has something there. Yes, he's had some injuries that have held him back a little bit, but I think once he gets it clicking, he could be something special. I mean, like, what in particular would you say is like his strong point, though? I mean, is it just. He's a big body that can shoot. Always good. Always good to have. I mean, Jonathan, how tall is he? I know he was. Uh, there he goes. He's a Swede. He's 5'11, so he's not super big, but I feel like he could do something special if he can just get it going, stay healthy. But if I had to pick someone that's, you know, higher up, I'd probably pick Joe Valeno. He's looked super freaking special um, with the amount of goals he scored. Um, He'll probably be on the Griffins this year with a couple call-ups to the Red Wings, in my opinion. Nick, who's somebody from Chicago's uh, young group that you like and why? No, I'm not going to – I'm going to go a little bit off the board here too. Uh, You know, we talked a lot about our – Big name prospects. So I'm going to talk about one we haven't got to talk about a lot recently. I go with Alex Vlasic. I think uh, it's a couple of years down the road till we see him, but he is D man that the Blackhawks have kind of really never quite had. Uh, he's a tall, big defender. He's physical. You know, you, you know the last name with his cousin Mark Edward Vlasic, who is a very solid D man throughout his NHL career with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, he skates really well. He's uh, he's great with the puck in his own zone. He can make those outlet passes. Uh, he has a cannon of a shot. Very smart player. And uh, he's he's kind of like a playmaking D-man with his size, and he, he could play that physical presence as well. So, uh, I mean, the biggest concern about him is just, like, he's still raw and, like, he has a lot to develop. But, I mean, he looks like he could be a very steady D-man for the Hawks one day in the future. Um I was high on him when the Hawks drafted him. I think he's an exciting guy to keep an eye on over the next couple of years. He's got some work in the defensive end, but like he has all the talent in the world with the puck on a stick. And I think if he develops that uh, playing in his own zone a little bit more, he could be a stud for the Blackhawks a couple of years down the road. He's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7 six, or something like that. Like he's a behemoth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was shocked when uh, when he fell to us. Frankly, I did not expect him to be there when we picked him. They had him going late first. Like, he was projected to go late first. And yep. he came middle second? Yeah, middle second, I think. Yes, because that was the year that we had the seventh overall pick. We got Boquist first and then Alex Vlasic. So, yeah, that tracks. I think we picked him up at, like, 43 or something like that. Oh, it was 2019 we drafted him, so that was uh, Kirby with Kirby Doc. So the Hawks went big. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, the Hawks went big that draft year. And I, I mean, it really shows where the Hawks are going. They're, they want to get more physical. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to play a big role for the Hawks. I mean, we haven't had a huge D-man in our organization for – I know it's how, how – yeah, Buffalo. And, and he played forward most yeah, of the time. Yeah, he played forward. So uh, – you know, he's someone I'm very, really excited about that I really haven't got a chance to talk about yet until now. Excellent choice. He's one that flies under the radar, so I'm glad you brought him up. What about you, Tim? Who's somebody for the Hawks organization you think is going to be a good player in the future? I have sung the praises of Kirby Doc so much that it would be so obvious. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the other 
Blackhawks rookie that took steps forward and backward this year. And I think Adam Boquist has shown a lot of promise. And I'm really, really excited about what he continues to bring to the table. Like, I know he took a step back in the playoffs, but frankly, I'm not super surprised by that. He was forced to play top pairing minutes with the way that things struggled for a little bit. You know, he ended up with like the fifth least or like the least ice time out of defensemen in the playoffs. But a lot of times he was out there with Keith and he's going up against McDavid or Mark Stone. Like, forget it. That's terrifying. Uh, But he is that pure offensive defenseman. And we've seen flashes of it both in the second half of the year and even a couple times in the playoffs where he's able to make plays. He's smart with the puck. He's got pretty smooth skating. I think if his stick handling gets a little bit better, his confidence gets a little bit better, and he bulks up a little bit, gets a little stronger, he's going to be the person that's breaking out of, breaking out plays and really transitioning. He's modeled a lot of his game after Eric Carlson, which, look, we know he's going to be a bit of a defensive liability because Eric Carlson is a defensive liability. Uh, but if Boquist can become that true power play quarterback and if other players around him end up picking up a lot of the defensive slack, uh, I think that Adam Boquist could be what changes our offense, frankly. If I was going to pick somebody from the Wings pipeline, I honestly think Jared McIsaac is going to be a player who is really getting slept on from a lot of Wings fans' perspectives. Um, He's a second-round pick in the 2018 draft. So... 19, what was it? He played for Halifax, and then he went to go play for, I believe it was the uh, the Moncton Wildcats in the QMJHL. And, and just even just like his 25 games with the Wildcats, he had, I want to say it was like 17 points or something like that. So just shy of a half a point per game. And actually, no, that's over a half a point per game in the QMJHL. I think he's going to get a chance to play in Grand Rapids next year, which is good considering he'll only be really two years removed from the draft. And, I mean, on top of that, you look at, like, his tournament success. I mean, he's played in, you know, the World Junior U-20 Championships last year. He had a goal, and I think it was three assists in the seven games that he played. So just, I think he pans out essentially as, like, a basically like a middle pair defenseman who can add that offensive spark if you need it. And I just... I like the fact that he shoots left because it seems like a lot of teams are trying to load up on right-handed defensemen because they're the hot commodity. But mm-hmm. I like that Detroit's going to have a guy in their middle pair who shoots left who can help generate offense as well. Just it's it's good at filling out your roster and helping you give just different shooting chances to. And also, I mean, the fact that he's only 20 years old and he's already about to go make the transition to Grand Rapids, I think that's a great sign moving forward. Plus. I mean, he's not a super big guy. He's only six foot one, I believe, but he's almost two hundred pounds, so he's going to be a big-bodied kid already. Like, I think that's a great thing for Detroit moving forward. Yeah, that's a really, really good pick because I didn't know a lot about McIsaac. Uh, and what's it called? You're right. Those middle six defensemen, or those middle, uh, like that middle pairing defenseman. That's a lot of what wins championships i mean we were at our best when we had you know oduya and jalmerson were a pairing like if you've got those middle defensemen that help take a little bit of the burden and a little bit of the slack off your top pairing you can ride that out and just sort of round out your bottom pairing that's a that's a really good pick yeah i like that pick a lot jordan what defense from here we're talking about well, defense wins championships. <laughs> you know we love defense <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> We're not really uh we don't really know defense that well because, you know, quite frankly, none of our teams have it yet. <laughs> Oof. But hey, hey, we did. I can remember. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean just mean re- in recent years. But yeah, I think I think that's pretty much all we have for tonight's episode unless somebody has something else to talk about. No. Ah, uh, no, yeah, I think I'm good. I feel great. Okay. It feels good to be back, boys. It does yeah. feel good to be back. Like, uh, you know, training camp all over again. We had spent like a month and we had to get it back going. 
wheels are in motion, and uh, we're getting ready for the off season. Say so the off season's when big things are going to happen for both of our clubs. That's the that's the cool thing about it is, I mean, there's going to be at least in theory so much for Wings fans to finally talk about this off season because we didn't have much this season, and even for you guys, there's going to be a lot to talk about. It's going to be great when we both end up standing pat. I could at least see the Hawks. We're just going to use our money to sign Franz Nielsen and give Johan Franz in a longer contract. See, now you're talking, bud. Now you've got it. Here's Steve hoping I... Franz can, can come back. Steve Eisenman's just going to walk into like a, uh, like a giant uh, banquet hall with like all the other GMs in the NHL. And he's just going to get up on a podium. Give me your bad contracts with one year left. Give me them all. I will take them all. Just throw me any draft picks you have. That's what's going to oh happen this God. year. We get the yeah. top ten draft picks. I mean, I would, I would be curious what would happen, though, if Steve Eisen actually did that. Like, he just basically said, I'm not going after any of the big names in free agency. I'm just going to take a whole bunch of one-year contracts off teams and just accumulate more draft picks. And then next year is when he's just going to go to town on free agency. Sounds like what I do in uh, NHL 20 franchise mode. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. Pro strats. Pro strats. But anyway, I think that's going to wrap it for tonight's episode. Um, as always, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in and listening to the show. At the end of the day, this is a podcast that is by fans for fans. There's no corporate sponsorship. There's nobody essentially telling us what we have to say or what we can't say, which is awesome. And if you guys ever do want to get in touch with us, we'd love to get in contact with you guys. Um, in particular, there are just quite a few ways you can do it now. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can uh, email us. Um, we're on YouTube, sparing them. I've been kind of lazy, admittedly, about uploading to YouTube, but I'm going to try to use it a little bit more for us. Um, so there are plenty of avenues to get in contact with us. Um, we're going to assume you found this podcast either through SoundCloud or iTunes, so you know where to find it there. Um, if you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, we're on Facebook. Uh, the Twitter handle is at StickbladePod. It's all one word. There's no underscores or spaces or anything like that. It's just at StickbladePod. And the email address is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. So, again, just a really simple email address. Um, if you ever have any sorts of, like, you know, uh, discussion topics or questions that you want us to read on air or if you have any rude remarks or insults um we'd love to hear from them. every once in a while we interact with you guys and you guys send us stuff and it's something fun for us to do so if you want to do it feel free to do it and as always this has been a great episode thank you guys for showing up and recording with me tonight uh as your host jordan linscott and my co-hosts David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This has been another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast.